welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is Johnny Brower, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to be in worship with you today uh, down here in the chapel uh, at the well uh, and upstairs in the loft for those in the well cafe. Uh, if this is your very first time in worship with us, extra special welcome to you. Uh, I'm not the normal preacher for this service, uh, so if it's really bad, I'm sorry. Come back next week. It should be much better. <laughs> if you would please turn in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, we're going to take a look at that in just a moment, but I want to give you plenty of time to find it because it can be kind of tricky. If you did not bring a Bible today and you need one, uh, down here in the chapel underneath the seat in front of you, you can find a, a blue Bible there. Uh, upstairs in the loft, we have a rack by the sound booth in the back center. You can grab one there as well. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the page number of Jeremiah 29. Um, in the blue Bibles that we have available. So as soon as somebody finds it in there, what was it? One, two, two, three. Very good. One, two, two, three. Thank you very much. I um, also want you to know, if you didn't bring a Bible today because you don't own a Bible, uh, we believe that everybody should own a Bible. And that blue Bible that's available in these spaces uh, is yours. We want that to be your gift to you. So take it. No questions asked. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Uh, just take it with you as, and accept that as our gift. Uh, if you're not using one of those blue Bibles, you're using maybe your own Bible and you're having trouble finding Jeremiah, if you just open it in half, you'll probably be in the Psalms-Proverbs area. Jeremiah is just a few books after Proverbs between Isaiah and Lamentations. Uh, and if that doesn't help, there's a table of contents, which is probably just a much easier way to do it. Uh, so this is the last week in a series that we began two weeks ago called Graduation Day. Pastor David shared uh, with us that um, when we were planning our spring calendar, we were taking a look at this, uh, this three-day uh, window that we had in May, and we were trying to think and plan out, like, what, is, what does May really mean? What, what goes here? What, what are people feeling uh, during this time? And what we came up with rather quickly is that May is really a month that is full of transition. Uh, it's a month about transition because seasons are changing. Spring is turning into summer. Kids are getting excited about summer break. We're busting out our swimsuits. We're starting to put on uh, suntan lotion now. We're having to mow our grass a lot more often. Uh, and, of course, for some people, some of our young men and women, uh, they have their very own graduation day that's coming up, a day of great importance for them. I know for many of us in these spaces that we can remember our own graduation day. For some of us, they weren't that far away. Uh, for others of us, they were a little further away, but I know you can remember it. And one of the things that we know to be true about that graduation day uh, is that for many around us, they see that graduation as a moment of great accomplishment and celebration. But when you're that person that's walking through it at the time, uh, you may also feel a sense of fear or anxiety because graduation naturally invites in this question, what's next? And that can be a very scary question because what's next often means something new. And here's where I think we're all brought into this theme, uh, that we all pass through seasons like this throughout our life. And it's not just a one-time event when we have a transition, but it's something that we will go through over and over and over again. We all go through seasons, plural, of transition. Some of those moments are moments that we anticipate, that we look forward to, that we've worked hard for. Uh, like landing a new job or a promotion. Maybe it's the birth or adoption of a child or getting married or, or finishing a degree. But some of those moments uh, we don't expect and are unwelcomed and we weren't prepared for. Uh, maybe like the loss of a job or the ending of a significant relationship. An unexpected move or the death of a loved one. 
And so what we're doing in this series is, is hoping to speak a word of hope and faith into this common experience that we share by first understanding one thing, and that is God works in transitions. This is a truth for all of us, and it's a truth that we have threaded through each and every week. And if you remember nothing else over these three weeks, this is the one thing that we want you to remember, is that God is present and God works in transitions. But to dig a little deeper as to how God works in transitions, Pastor David posed three questions for us that we believe are critical uh, for every person to ask themselves and to wrestle with when they find themselves in a time of transition. If you've missed any of the past two sermons, you can catch up on those online, uh, firstmethodistmansfield.org slash media, where we archive all of our sermon series. Uh, invite you to do that. But for today, I want to do a really quick recap of each of those. Week one, Pastor David shared with us this thought. In a season of transition, it's easy to lose direction, to become destabilized, to lose our way. And that happens when we lose the why of our life. So we started last week by saying that the question we need to ask ourselves in a season of transition is this. Do you know your why? Do you know your why? Do you have a fresh and clear understanding of the why behind your life? What's driving you right now? What is the guiding principle in your life? And what part does God play in that? Is the why that you've established for your life rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in his teachings, in his saving grace, and in this call on your life. This is even a great question to ask when you're not in the midst of transition, because you know you will go through it. Just in our everyday life, this is probably something we should know. What is our guiding principle? What's the why of our life, and what's, what drives us? Week two, uh, which was last week, we introduced this idea that transitions invite us to embrace a new life and let go of an old life. Pastor David shared with you last week a, a recommendation for some really great luggage if you're in the need for that. Uh, so those few little laughs, those are the people that were in church last week. <laughs> uh, and also, more importantly, a, a look into a major transition in the life of the disciples. For Peter, James, and John, uh, there was a life that they had always known. Uh, their life was centered around this one thing, being a fisherman. It's all they had known. It's what they'd grown up around, and it was the future that they had been living into for their entire life. And then Jesus shows up and invites them to leave it all behind and embrace this new life that he has called them to. So the question last week was, what do you need to leave behind? What do you need to leave behind? Transitions do that. They invite us to let go of an old life and embrace the new. But if you only do one of those things without doing the other, you get stuck in this transition. It requires both of those things. Now, maybe you heard both of those sermons and you thought, yeah, great, I got that all figured out. I've done that. I've been through many transitions in my life and I didn't get them all right. But over the course of time, I've kind of figured this thing out. I've got this guiding principle. I know the why of my life and it's guiding me uh, through those times of transition. And if that is you, then bless you. Bless you. Uh, I'm so glad you've got that figured out. And I'm sorry you're going to have to sit through the rest of this sermon. Um, but really, my, my hope is that, my hope is that through the rest of this sermon, that you might hear words uh, or give shape and language and theology to those experience that you the experiences that you've had going through transition. And maybe, uh, maybe it will give you language uh, and theology to share with somebody else as you help them go through transition. So there's still something in the sermon for you, so uh, hang in there with me. But... 
For others of you, what happens when you find yourself in the midst of transition and you have no idea what that new life is that you're supposed to be embracing? What happens when you have no idea where you're heading? What happens when transition comes out of something unexpected and unwelcomed and it was not planned for and now you're sitting there going, what am I supposed to do? What does the future even look like? It's so foggy, I can't see it. I have no idea. In the midst of good and bad transition, we can find ourselves looking back and that past seems so clear. We can see everything leading up to that moment, but the future isn't always so clear. And the danger there is that the days can just start rolling by, and pretty soon the future becomes our present, and it looks exactly as it did before. Nothing has changed. Have you ever felt that way? Stuck in this moment in your life, living trapped in the present by the events of your past? Because it's so easy when faced with transition to live our lives day after day with actually, without actually creating our future. We just hope the future comes and solves all our problems for us. Has anybody in here seen the movie Groundhog Day before? It's okay to raise your hand in church about Groundhog Day. Uh, Bill Murray, man, it's one of my favorite movies, absolutely one of my favorite movies. And, and I feel like that kind of describes our lives sometimes, living this sort of Futureless tomorrow, we wake up day in and day out doing the same things over and over again, the same mistakes, the same stresses, the same worries, the same problems, and it feels like we're just existing and not really living anymore. This is what being stuck feels like. This is what it feels like to be trapped in transition. The future is cloudy. We're not sure what it even is, and you have no idea what the future holds. Which brings us to our third and final question for this series. Maybe the question should not be, what does your future hold, but who holds your future? Not what does your future hold, but who holds your future? So as we wrap up this series, I want to do one simple thing, which is to look at a passage of Scripture that is very familiar to, to many of us here. In fact, I bet uh, some people in here and upstairs have this verse memorized and have used it or read it from time to time. Uh, in moments that needed comfort or in moments of transition. It is a fantastic piece of scripture that does speak directly to this situation, but unfortunately, its truth has often been misunderstood and misapplied. So we're going to look, we're going to look at this scripture, uh, we're going to apply it to this life, and we're going to learn how to apply it appropriately uh, and not and not the way we maybe have in the past. So in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, the prophet Jeremiah speaks directly to a moment of monumental transition for God's people. And in just a minute, we're going to read uh, verse 5 through 14. But first, I want to give you a quick history lesson. I know when I say the word history, many eyes just immediately, immediately glaze over. And that's okay. Just hang in, there, hang in there with me for just a minute, two or three minutes tops. Uh, we'll get through this. Uh, but I just want to give you some context around what we're about to read. So if you're familiar with the early stories of the Old Testament, uh, or maybe the very first Indiana Jones movie, uh, you know that for generations, God's people carried with them the Ark of the Covenant. Simply put, because we could spend many, many hours lecturing over the Ark, but simply put, uh, this Ark represented God's presence and promise to God's people. To always be with them and always protect them. They carried it from place to place. And inside the ark were artifacts. 
They were remnants of moments where God's presence and promise to the people were on full display, including two stone tablets that came from a guy named Moses. But it wasn't until 957 BCE when King Solomon finished construction on the first temple in Jerusalem. This was a statement that was made. It was awe-inspiring. It was grand. It was huge. It was beautiful. And it made the statement that God's people are here now. We're no longer nomads. We're not wandering from place to place. We are established in a land that God has promised us. And God is with us. And God is big enough. It was the center for community life, both political and religious. And it was part of the cultural identity of the people. It's where they worshipped. It's where they brought their offerings. It, it, it signified unity. It was the center for their daily life. But not only that, it also represented their national identity. The, t- the temple became this new representation of God's presence and promise with them. The promise that was made to them on Mount Sinai after liberating them from Egypt. That you are not Egypt's people, but you are God's people. This was the new sign of that. And deep inside the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. Maybe your translation calls it the most holy place. And there resided the Ark of the Covenant they had, they had carried around. And it was also thought that the literal presence of God existed in that place. It was God's home. It's where God resided among God's people. And even though Judah and Israel had been under the rule of many different empires throughout history, as long as that temple stood, it was a reminder that God was there and there was faith and hope that God was with them and that the covenant still stood. But in 597 BCE, Judah revolted against the Babylonians. They were the current ruling empire of the time. And because of that revolt against the Babylonians, it provoked those Babylonians to the first of three invasions and deportations by that ruling empire. After a long siege, about a 10-year siege, the capital city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And during that invasion, those Babylonians broke down the city walls that protected the city and the temple. Killed many people there. They leveled the king's palace. And finally they destroyed the temple. Not only did the invasion of the country and the physical destruction of the city completely disrupt ordinary social and economic life. But above all the nation's collapse and the temple's destruction put into question Judah's relationship with God. You see Judah was now in a place of exile. They had to leave the land that they felt they were promised. They had to leave the land where God resided with them. And during this period of exile was a time of immense emotional and theological disruption for Judah. Not only was the fabric of their daily life and the community destroyed, but the sort of symbolic world that supported life collapsed as well. And some serious questions began to emerge out of this turmoil, like this. Had God forgotten his chosen people? Worse yet, had God abandoned them? How could God allow such a tragedy to happen to God's people? Or was God powerless 
compared to the seemingly more powerful gods of Babylon? And if so, then what does the future hold? What's next for us? How can the surviving community possibly move forward? See, the destruction of the temple had to mean something for these people because God resided there. So one of two things in their minds had to take place when the temple was destroyed was that either God abandoned that place where he resided, abandoned his people, left the temple as it was destroyed, or God was destroyed with the temple. You could see how a nation of people who have for hundreds of years walked with God in covenant are now in a place of turmoil and disruption, completely lost and not even at home anymore. These are the questions that haunt the book of Jeremiah. The prophet has to somehow make sense of a tragedy that has quite literally wrecked the lives of a nation. And what he does here in chapter 29 is write a letter to the exiles to talk about this time of transition and to hope, to offer hope and a way forward for them. So if you will look there in 29 verses 5 through 14. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, in the midst of this tragedy and despair, Jeremiah offers a word of hope to the exiles when all seems hopeless. And I think we can break down these ten verses that we just read into three distinct parts, three distinct messages that Jeremiah has for the people, and three distinct messages that I believe that we can take away for our times of transition as well. The first one is this. If you look at verses 5 through 7, what Jeremiah is saying to the people there is recognize where you are. You are in exile. This is not wanted. I know nobody wanted this. I know nobody wants to be here. I know nobody is happy about this. But this is where you are. You are in exile. You are in transition. But do not give up. Do not simply wait around for the future to come to you. Because transitions require work. 
Continue living your life in an active and intentional way. Because the temptation in transition is just to wake up each day and continue living as we always have. Hoping the future will come and solve all of our problems for us. But Pastor David pointed out last week that during transitions, life looks different. And we can find ourselves stuck if we fail to let go of the past. And Jeremiah is helping the exiles to understand the season of life that they're in. And urging them to not give up or live trapped in their tragedy, but rather begin rebuilding now, even if the future is uncertain. The second thing is this, in verses 8 and 9, um, it says, uh, I think Jeremiah is saying here, to, to not, don't listen to the lies, or if you want it to rhyme, don't buy the lies. Dramatic life change can invite in doubts and despair. But don't let voices, whether they're internal or external, convince you that there is no hope. Because that is not of God. Because as we'll find in message 3, Jeremiah is saying this about God, that God restores. God restores. Remember the promise that God has made to you over and over again, O Israel, that I will never leave you or forsake you. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, not despair and fear, but hope and a future. Now when we read this scripture, especially verse 11, uh, I think this is where misunderstanding comes in. We read chapter 29, verse 11 for ourselves or read it to somebody else in a time where they need comfort, in a time of transition. And I think what happens most often is we get fixated on this word plans. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Meaning that you're just, there, there are these steps in your life that take you into the future the plan for your life, and there's step one and step two and step three and step four and step five, and you're just in step three right now. You're in step three, but step four is coming. It's just all part of God's plan. We think that our future is just mapped out for us, but the danger in, understand, in this understanding is that it often leads us to rationalize tragedy as a part of that plan. When we think that God has mapped out every single step for us and the step we're in, no matter how unwelcome or how tragic, is a part of that plan. It's just a, one of the steps in that plan. We rationalize the tragedy as if God caused it or created it or it was something that we had to go through in order to be close to God one day. Something sudden like a car wreck happens or a tragic loss of life. You find out you have cancer. It's part of God's plan. The loss of a friend or a child, a crumbling relationship, or your loss of your job must be part of God's plan, right? I think what that does, the danger in thinking that way, is not only does it rationalize tragedy as part of God's plan, but that speaks deeply to the character of God. It may feel comforting to say, maybe feel comforting to hear the time, but then what does that speak about God? And what God hopes for us in our life. Instead, I think, instead of understanding this verse as God has planned the future for you. Instead of thinking of it that way. Instead, I think we should think of it as God has planned your future. 
not planned your future for you, but has planned your future. It's a subtle difference in word order, but I think a significant difference in meaning and how we understand the scripture because the plan is that your future is full of prosperity and not harm, that he wants you to have hope and a future, not just the same day over and over again. Hope means that God can free you from your past so that you can live into your future. Hope means that tomorrow is not futureless because a futureless tomorrow is filled with fear. It's afraid of what may come. It doubts that things could ever get better. But hope frees you from that fear. It means that you don't have to be captured by the worst moments of your life. Hope means that you don't have to be captured by the worst experiences of your life. Hope means that you don't have to be imprisoned by the worst choices of your life. God gives us hope. On Friday, um, I had the pleasure of, of joining several staff and volunteers uh, that night as we trekked down to Teague, Texas, uh, and participated in a worship service at the Boyd unit there, a prison, medium security prison uh, there. Some of you in this room have been a part of Kyo, uh, Kairos or, or have been a part of prison ministry here at this church and know what this is all about. And, and I was fairly excited to go. Um, I, I wasn't really nervous uh, to go there, I was only nervous because I was in charge of bringing the message. I was in charge of, of giving a sermon during our time of worship. And I was nervous uh, not because I had to speak. I don't, I don't mind speaking. Uh, I'm a preacher. We like to talk. But, you know, I, I was nervous because I had no idea what to say. I had no idea what to say. I'm going to this place with people that have an experience that is, my, experience, my life experience is completely unlike uh, anybody in this room. And I, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how I'm supposed to bring grace and hope and love into this, into this place. I, I have no idea. And so I was so nervous about it. But I realized once we got there and we stepped onto the grounds how arrogant that anxiety was. How arrogant of a thought that was about what I could bring to this moment. Because the second we walked into the gymnasium where we were going to have church that night, and I see white shirts all over the place as part of their setup team, uh, their chapel team, putting out the chairs and setting up the sound systems and welcoming us with smiles and open arms and handshakes, I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't here necessarily to minister to them. But I was going to be ministered to this night. And as we prepared for church and their prayer team laid hands on us, uh, uh, the inmate prayer team laid hands on us and prayed for us and prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill that place. As their choir got up there and their band uh, started playing and singing, it was glorious. It was awesome. It was amazing. And to see the 200 or so inmates, these men gathered in this room, all dressed in white, singing praises to God, hands raised high in the air. It was loud. It was boisterous. It was filled with joy and gratitude. The Spirit was overwhelming in that place. And then we had to get up. And, and our band, our, our band uh, volunteers that got up and played, they did beautifully. It was amazing. And I got up and said some stuff. Uh, but God was already in that place. I was already in that place. The Spirit was already moving. And then to see these people sing songs of hope and gratitude moved me 
And it reminded me of this truth that even in a place where uh, I would be tempted to never see a future, to live day in and day out like, like the future was hopeless, here are these men singing these songs because they understand who holds their future. They understand who holds their future. Hear this carefully. Hope is the material from which our future is born. Hope is the material from which our future is born. And hope is fueled by faith. Faith in the one that holds the future in his hands. Hope is the material of our future. And that hope is filled by faith and the one who holds the future in his hands. This is a transcendent observation of reality, to understand that there is a being that has existed from the dawn of time, that has created all things and is recreating all things again, has walked with people through so many transitions in their lives, moments of doubt and fear and despair. God has been there all along, speaking gently a word of hope to them. Because everything in a time of transition in your current state can say that things cannot be changed. And this is how it will always be and you will always feel this way. And yet God says, I have, the pl I have plans for you. I have plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans that include hope and a future. So our question for today is this. Who or what are you trusting with your future. Who or what have you placed your trust in for your future? And is it the God that transcends all time? The God that knows you by name, knows your heart, knows your experience, knows your fear, knows your joy, knows your goals, the God that wants to prosper you and not harm you? Who or what are you trusting with your future? As we close our time together for this series and, and today in church, uh, we're going to close in prayer. And what I want to invite you to do as we pray together is to do, this is a practice that I have when I'm reading scripture, is to locate myself within the narrative, right? When I'm reading scripture, I try to place myself in the scripture that I'm reading and find how it speaks to me, how God's Spirit is speaking to me. It's a great practice because it doesn't matter where you are in life. You can read the same scripture now and then 10 years from now and you're in a different place and the scripture will still speak to you afresh and anew because you are in a different place and you can locate yourself differently within that narrative. So before we can fully grasp where we're heading in the future that exists past our season of transition, we must first understand who owns our future. So if you are here today and you've been feeling stuck, overwhelmed with your present, hopeless or desperate or maybe full of doubt, if, if you locate yourself in the narrative uh, as the people of Israel, you relate to Judah in the time of exile, I want you to know that when you engage the God of yesterday, today, and forever, a God that we call the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, a God that has been and forever will be, a God who has seen and will always see, 
When you engage God, you begin to realize that the future can feel like hope again. But you don't have to go through that alone. There are people here in this church, staff and volunteers both, that have a call on their life to help people walk through those times of transition, to encourage you. And if you are in need of that, I I highly encourage you to stop by our connecting point after this service. We'd love to get you connected with Stephen ministers, with prayer warriors, people that will walk through you, through this with you, that will pray with you. I want to encourage you, it's time to stop letting your past dictate your future and instead recognize the season you're in. Name it and claim it and begin living again with the hope of God. If you're here today and you feel pretty confident about, confident about who holds your future, you've been through times of transition, you're walking squarely in step with Christ. And he is your guiding principle. Maybe you're living in the midst of the prosperity that Jeremiah is talking about. And I want to clarify that prosperity doesn't just mean money. It could also mean emotional prosperity, social prosperity, spiritual prosperity. You are on solid ground right now. Maybe it's your presence that somebody needs to help them find that hope again. Maybe it's time to take the next step and start investing in somebody else's future. Doing as Jeremiah did for Judah, and ministering directly to those that are in desperate need of hope. As we pray together now, will you locate yourself in this narrative and pray that God calls you forward into that next step. Let us pray. Almighty God, maker of all things, redeemer of all things, sustainer of all things, the God that has gone before us and God that will go after us. We thank you. God, we thank you for your grace and your love. We pray now in this place, God, that your spirit fills our lives, that you hear the desires of our heart, God, the longings of our soul. God, for those of us in the midst of transition, Some of us may be stuck in that transition, God. We pray that you pour out your hope and grace in our lives. And you lead us forward to seek help, to seek encouragement and accountability. For others of us, God, may you open our eyes to see those that need your hope desperately. Open our eyes, God, and give us courage and strength to step out and minister as you would. Offering grace so freely. And in all things, God, in all things, God, as we seek to find you, as we search for you in prayer and in scriptures, God, remind us that you are the God that finds us. We thank you for that. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols Jerk the pews